Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hi everyone, I'm, well, it's obvious, I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, this season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Today on Loose Units, Dad and I are talking about a case which Dad brought to my attention last week. Occasionally I say to Dad and to you, the listeners, I'd really like to deal with a case that isn't deeply, profoundly traumatic. But when your ex-cop Dad sends you a couple of links to articles about a Frenchman who, I would say, "Mm, I don't really know how to sum this case up, Dad, but I will say that right now in Melbourne and all across Australia, the uh, French Film Festival is on, and every week, Tegan and I heading across to Como or Dendi or whatever and catching amazing French films. So my view of uh, France is pretty sunny right now. Um, And I know there's some unrest over there with people rioting over pensions and whatnot. And, you know, there's cars on fire in the street. Mm. This is a Sounds like a John Wick 4 film. Yeah, I just sent Dad to see John Wick 4 because Mum and Dad love John Wick. And good God, Mm. that film is very, very, very Paris-centric. In fact, Dad, just as a quick sidebar, sorry everyone, on our wedding day in Paris at the Luxembourg Gardens, you were there, mum was there, about 10 other people were there, and afterwards we hopped into tuk-tuks and we hooned around the Arc de Triomphe, around that big roundabout, remember? Mm. And in John Wick 4, there is probably a 15-minute fight scene that takes place in full traffic around that roundabout. It's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, But anyway... I guess what I'm trying to say, Dad, is that there's a lot of French-centric stuff that's happening in our lives right now, and so I guess it makes sense that you would let me know about this case about a killer who was born in 1954 in France. Uh, his name is Jean-Claude Romand. Uh, he, I won't spoil for everyone where he is right now because that part of the story is, is bonkers, mm. but <sighs> this is sort of like a catch-me-if-you-can style story that goes extremely wrong uh, very quickly mm. I um, yeah Paul look I just feel that um, okay I don't want to be too controversial with what I'm about to say okay but and I don't want to trivialize such a terrible terrible 
um, crime, the killing of various members of his family. We really aren't. And again, it's, it's, it's important. We're not, make, we're not making light of this, by the no, way. No, no, no. But the thing is, that's not what piqued my interest in the story. It's not, it's not that at all. To me, that's a side story. Yeah. The story about this man is how he led a true double life. And he hoodwinked people mm. completely. And, you know, it's just so fascinating. And for those people that don't know this story, he, by all accounts from his family's perspective, was a completely, in inverted commas, normal, mm. polite, well-adjusted, well, well-loved by his mother and father. And everything seemed to be going swimmingly. Can you yeah. say that? Is that, a, is that a word? Yeah, sure. He went to a very good school. He got his international baccalaureate, which apparently is very prestigious. Some of the private schools in Australia do offer it. Have you heard of it, Paul? Uh, it's sort of an international HSC. I thought it was that card game that Bond plays in Casino Royale. Oh, it's Baccarat, sorry. <laughs> no, no. If you, if you, um, if you when you um, finish year 12, uh -huh. you, you do an exam. So it's basically the HSC for France, right? No, no, no. It's an international HSC. Is there it? are some yes, people do it in Australia. You can do it here. You don't sit for your HSC or in Melbourne. What do you have in Melbourne? Higher school certificate? The, the something. I'm not sure. The Victorian something. The VCAT yeah. or something. Yeah. So you can opt to do your international baccalaureate, and what it does, it gives you an international qualification. If you, for example, want to go to, you know, one of the leading universities in Paris, for example. Sure, sure. They, they don't necessarily look at your higher school certificate or VCAT results, but they will look at the international baccalaureate. So he did that. Mm. He was very bright. And, okay, when he did his international baccalaureate, he did for his sort of major work in mm -hmm. one of his subjects, mm -hmm. he actually um, he did sort of a thesis, if you could say that, for a sort of a 17-year-old, and it was on the concept of telling lies. Did you know that, Paul? No, I didn't. This it's, I didn't know. It is so fascinating. Okay, tell me more about this. This is Well, uh... he, you know, he he argued yeah about what is a lie and does you know, look, I guess what I'm trying to say, Paul, and it became fairly evident looking back on this person's history that he was an incredible liar. His whole life was a lie. And it started... Now, let, let's don't take from him in that he was very, very smart. Mm -hmm. he, he went to university. He studied medicine. But at the end of the first year, yeah, he failed one of just one of the subjects. He did very, very well in the entire exam except for one small subject. And the university gave him the opportunity to resit, And he didn't. But what he did yeah. is he told his family that he passed. And 
then what he did then, which is so, it just, it almost doesn't seem real. But I've read from so many sources, I've read a lot of the court transcripts. It's irrefutable with what I'm about to say, but for the next 12 years, he went back to university at the end of every year and sat or pretended to sit for the final exam. And he was basing that on all his friends at university and they all knew him and he did this for 12 years. Forgive me, so you're saying he went back and... He went back. But did the, did the exam over and over? No, no. He, what he relied on was the fact that all his colleagues that were sitting for the exam would be so stressed. And I can, I can sort of imagine any final exam would be traumatic, but I think let's pay some due to medicine, which yeah. I think would be probably one of the scariest exams to sit for. He relied on everyone actually seeing him attending the exam, but then he just left. Yes, but why would he need to go to an exam year after year? I don't wouldn't know. That, no, but wouldn't that make it look like he was failing every year and having to come back and retake the exam every year? But there were that, it was a new class every year because the class keeps progressing. Right. But he kept going back. But what he was doing in essence, yeah. he was basically learning more and more and more about medicine. And he was getting all the notes. He was studying diligently. But if he never passed, he never actually became a real doctor. Correct. But so he, he wasn't. A, so he wasn't a doctor, but he was. But he was sort of knowledgeable. Right. Um. And he said to his family. Yeah. That he worked for the World Health Organization in Geneva. Okay. And he said he was specialising in cardiology and mm-hmm. a couple of other sort of specialist areas. So. He gets married. And his parents, they're obviously fairly well off because they gave him an apartment to sell. So he sells the apartment. Because what one needs to remember with this guy is that whilst he's living an imaginary life in terms of occupation, you can't live on imaginary income. I was going to say, so he is basically having to pretend he is a doctor. Yep. And doctors make a fair bit of money. Mm. And, and there's he, a certain, yeah, there's a certain he, point where, where you would have to... Okay, so yeah, yeah, I was going to ask how he made his money, but yeah. Well, also, he drove a flash BMW, lived mm-hmm. in a really nice house. His, his children went to private schools, his two children. Yep. And on the outside, it appeared that he was incredibly successful. But he was also... For example, his wife could never, ever contact him at the World Health Organization. But they got married in 1980, mm. yeah? You had two kids mm. in the late 80s and it's not cheap having children and no. it's not... I, I, I guess what I've noticed over the course of Loose Units is whenever we talk about people who lie is that the lie gets mm. more and more complex and the longer you have to maintain it, the more difficult it is and I'm very confused as to how he could keep this shit going for so long. Um, but you mentioned the flat, right? Mm. That his parents bought for him. Yeah. Uh, well, he flogged it. He to and then I assume just lived off lived that off the from, income. Yeah. Okay. But then I was thinking just before we went on air that mm-hmm. his life in a way actually resembled Melissa mm-hmm. Caddock's life. In that Melissa Caddock mm-hmm. swindled, defrauded, and just conned close 
family and friends. Melissa Cuddick, who went dis- uh, disappeared off, uh, off the yeah, edge of that cliff. The right? woman who, as if she's still around, is walking with a limp. We talked about her a couple of episodes ago, yeah. Correct. Yep. So, Paul, this guy, he did exactly the same thing. Right. He was... What he did, he was very clever. He said because of his higher position with the World Health Organization, he had access to you know, new types of medicine and he could, he sort of was within an inner sanctum of very high profile international politicians and doctors that he said he played golf with regularly yep. when he went on, on conferences. But he said he could give a return of 18% on any money that the family and friends. So he was actually getting a lot of money. It, it was in the millions. It ended up being around about two and a half million euro, which is about, fuck, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And that enabled him to continue to lie. Now, we haven't come to the insidious, dark, sort of the murderous side of him yet. But what I would like to say is that he went away to conferences regularly. Or did he? Well, no, he didn't because he actually wasn't a doctor. He used to, get ready for this, he would drive to the airport ostensibly to then fly off to conferences and conferences in the medical world are held all over the world. Yes. He would then stay in an airport hotel. Now, we've all seen these places. They're they're basically shitholes that you have to stay in if your flight's delayed. They're just incredibly functional places. So what, what was he doing when he was staying there? Okay, well, what he also used to do, he used to hang out at the World Health Organization's headquarters right. and he would simply go in and there's obviously a lot of places you can go to within those types of organizations like like they might have a library they may have sort of facilities to use computers there's a lot of stationery you know pencils it sounds trivial yeah. but what he was doing he was gathering physical evidence to make it that, look like he was actually to make it look that's right and then what he would do yeah. He would, for example, he'd say to his family, I'm going to Africa for a conference. Uh-huh. He'd stay in this tiny little pokey place, but then he'd go to the actual airport souvenir shops uh-huh. and he'd buy the types of souvenirs you can probably only buy at airports. And then when he'd come home, he'd give presents out to the family, to his wife and children. Now, he would stay at the same airport every time. So I read that he went to Geneva Airport, the international airport, and it was the, so it's the same hotel he stays at every time, basically. Mm, right? but, also, but also, what he, and he didn't do that all the time. Sometimes when he'd go away to a conference or would be working in Switzerland, he would actually just drive around the countryside in his car and he'd pull up at parks yeah. on the side of the road. And, he, and that kind of also makes me think of the Japanese, these... You know the, the famous Japanese men that continue to go to work every day and even though they don't have a job? I didn't know about this. Oh, it's, 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 it's a phenomenon over there. And they, they're dressed beautifully in their suits and they've got their bags. They say goodbye to their wives every morning and they go and sit in parks. They're unemployed, but they're so ashamed of, you know. But this is weird because he was... Okay, so let's say... Let's go back to the, the issue of the money, right? Mm, yeah. They sell their apartment, which was in Lyon, in France. Um, his wife's earning money, which he can live off. Mm. And then, and this is the catch me if you can part of it for me, is that he starts making up uh, hedge funds and investment opportunities. And he starts getting money to invest in those hedge funds and other fictional opportunities 
uh, from the in-laws. Mm. Now, things get dark here, if you recall. Um, do you want to delve into the actual when shit went very, very awry? Because everything really kicked off on the... Okay, uh, brilliant. 1993. Mm-hmm. 1993. Okay. So, so he had yep. um, sort of borrowed money off his... Um, father-in-law. Right? Father-in-law. Yeah. And, you know, look, families are complicated things. And, you know, families let a lot of things slide. Yeah. And it's actually possibly one of my problems in life that, you know, it can be perceived as sort of a form of weakness. I don't agree. I don't like to make waves. And I'm always sort of thinking that eventually things will come good. But sometimes, as in this particular case, the father-in-law said, I want at least a portion of my money back. And so our man, um, Jean-Claude, goes to the house and mysteriously, the father-in-law is found at the bottom of stairs... And he, <clears throat> Jean-Claude actually calls the, um, the ambulance. Yep. And there is transcript from the court case of one of the ambulance officers. And the father-in-law was mumbling something. And it's very, very difficult. But I've read the transcript and it looks as though the father-in-law is actually saying to the ambulance officer that my... Son-in-law, Jean-Claude, pushed me down the stairs. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
it's very interesting. There are there are bits sort of missing from the sentence, but you know, with a with a moderately sort of fertile imagination, you can string it, which is obviously should, what the prosecution wanted to do. I need to point out that, by the way, uh, 1993 is when the when the uh, proven crimes take place, but 1988 is when the father-in-law is like, "Look, I need to get some of this money back." And a couple of weeks after that, uh, this apparent accident happens, and Jean Claude's the only witness, and. Uh, like you said, the transcript, I thought, see, I read that he was just saying his son-in-law's name over and over before. Apparently, Jean-Claude like then crammed the oxygen mask onto his That's face right. so he couldn't keep talking. Yeah. Which is so incredibly diabolical, right? It's just, incredible to oh think that, um, you know, he, he ostensibly, as far as the ambulance officers are concerned, uh-huh. Jean-Claude is a doctor. So this father-in-law is trying to make what we call sort of a dying declaration. Yep. He's trying to put the finger on... The son-in-law, yep. Ambos are standing around. Ambulance officers are trained. Paramedics are trained probably universally to be very, very aware of anything evidential because they are often in the thick of what can turn out to be a major crime scene. And they, they see things. They hear things. Imagine they're doing CPR and they manage to hear this person say it was such and such. That is damning evidence. So Jean-Claude is standing around... And he grabs the the oxygen mouthpiece. Yep. And to prevent him from probably saying that he was the killer, he puts the mask on the father-in-law. So it would just be inaudible muffling. That is just in itself. If that was in a movie, you'd go, wow, that is really amazing. Yeah. But one of the knock-on effects of this, of course, is that his mother-in-law doesn't need as big a house to live in because she's a widow now. So she scales back to an apartment and then more money goes to Jean-Claude. It's just... So it's, basically he's... It's, yeah. it's so dark. It's, it's so... Yeah, and we haven't even got to the bad shit. No, really like haven't. It's, it's, it's so interesting. I mean, it's worth that- pointing out that they also sent their kids to a private school. So at this point, the money is really coming in handy. Um, and he's clearly running out of funds at this point. But yeah, so basically the mother-in-law, uh, she scales back to a kind of small apartment um, and she gives Jean-Claude the kind of, oh, what's the word when someone, you give them uh, like stewardship of your of your money. So basically he, she says, look, take care of the rest of the cash because I'm not going to mm. need it because I'm a widow <clears throat> now. So yeah. Like, yeah. By kill, by, look, let's, all, let's be honest. We all think he pushed him down the stairs, right? Mm. Yeah. So he's got more money by doing this. Uh, and then... Well, well he, the reason he did it is that the father-in-law was going to expose. That everything would have unraveled. So he's, right. he's sort of, he's got a bit of a time delay now. Then... Oh, he also had a, sorry. He had a mistress as well. Oh, yeah, had a mistress. Which, to and be he, fair, is like it's not. That's not that unusual in France. I'm not. Prof- I'm not. I'm not generalizing either. Hmm. This is not an unusual thing. But uh, she had also given him money. Correct. Right. And she also came back asking for the funds, which I believe were close to. I, I, how many zeros in a million? I think it was like nine hundred thousand francs hmm. potentially. Hmm. A lot of money. Yeah. Um. Do you want to? Do you want to jump to the 9th of January? Uh, and everything that's the the day where he goes to his mum and dad's house yes so let's walk through this very very uh, carefully and slowly because this is the crime for which he was this is when the crimes actually begin uh, the crimes for which he was charged yes so he he managed to somehow or other 
Well, this is the part of the story that I find a bit unusual in that he managed to get a gun. That's 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 okay, getting a gun. But yeah. he managed to get it. It came with a silencer. He got Did it from his that? dad. It was a rifle. Oh, okay. He borrowed it from his dad. Yeah. But it had a suppressor. He bought that. But how do you just go out and buy it? I'm sh- quite sure they are illegal. Any, any sort of, you know, device that can make a gun very quiet. Yeah. Um, he, he goes to the parents' house and he murders them. He shoots both of them, doesn't he? No, no, you've skipped, you've skipped ahead. Oh, what have I done? So after he's got the gun, right, yep. and he's got the silencer, and he also bought some gas canisters, apparently, mm. and several sources say that he wanted them gift-wrapped, which is, I don't know how that's pertinent, but it certainly adds to the sort of creepy milieu of the, of the whole thing. Mm. Then he goes back to his house. Oh, that's right. He, yes, yes. He goes yes. back to his house and he, and he, um, yep. he grabs a rolling pin. And he beats his wife to death. Yep. While in, the, she's, in their bed. Uh, in their bed. Yep. And he then leaves her body all night as though she's just sleeping, okay? I read and he slept in the bed next to her, by oh, no, the way. No, no, that's, that's a bit creepy. Then the next morning he wakes, he gets the children up and they have breakfast. Okay, yep. and apparently, according to the court transcripts, they watched cartoons together. Everything's going swimmingly, and everything's sort of okay. He puts them to bed that night. Yep. And then once both his children, son and daughter, are asleep, he goes into their rooms, and he shoots both his children in the head. Now, I've found, I've seen contradictory Statements saying that in one case it's a rifle, in one case it's a handgun. Details aside, I'm going to say handgun because if you have a suppressor, I don't think you can fit a suppressor to a rifle, so that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, you can actually. Assassins, you know, hitmen use them. Alternatively, he had a handgun and a rifle. Either way, he's now got his wife beaten to death in in his marital bed in his house. Uh, and his kids are now executed, and in they're bed. dead. Yep. yep. And then he le- and then he leaves. The next morning, he leaves the house. Okay. Okay. Yep. And then he goes to his mum and dad's house. Yep. And um, by the way, they they were um, across the border. Across the border in yep. Switzerland. Yep. And he just so he's murdered his wife, his two kids. Mm-hmm. So he's stoved his wife's head in with a rolling pin. She's still in bed. His two kids have been shot in the head. They're still in bed. Yep. Then he goes to his mum and dad's house and. He doesn't kill him straight away, Paul. He he has dinner with him. Yes, I know. And then after dinner, he waits till the yep yep. He shoots his mum and dad, mm-hmm. kills them, and he shoots the family dog. Yep. I'm thinking to myself at this stage, this is pretty fucked. Basically, anyone who was connected to him and part of the life he was living, which was built mm. upon lies, he is mm. executing, right? Correct, correct. You could argue he's reached a sort of critical mass where he's trying to cut off all connections. Now, by that logic, he's sort of working his way through all these people who are connected to him. And one loose end at this point... Mm. His mistress, is, Ex- ex-mistress. Is, right, so they had broken it off at that point because, you know, he owed her money... And he invites her out for um, a bite to eat, right? Hmm. 
Then on the way there, all the way back from the meal, I'm not sure, uh, he pretends the car's having car troubles, right? Correct, correct. And so he then tries to kill her. Yes, by strangling her. And he yeah. also sprays her with tear gas right in the face. So that's the, the gas canisters that he picked up with the suppressor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so okay. he's, 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 he's trying to kill her, strangle her, spray her with gas, um, yeah. you know, and she's, she's obviously very resilient and she fights back. Yep. And he has a weird change of heart at that point. He apologizes. Yeah. Yeah. After trying to kill her. Yep. So he drives her home. He then heads back to his house uh, where his dead family are. And then he sits down uh, to watch some telly. Um, He pours gasoline around uh, the property. Hmm. He sets it on fire. And then there's these sleeping pills, which he took, right? 20 sleeping pills. Now, the here's where it gets a little bit hinky because he has had, even though he's not an actual doctor, hmm. he has spent many years around sort of adjacent to medical training, right? He's not, he's not completely unaware of stuff. Hmm. And these uh, pills are out of date. They've hmm. uh, gone so far out of date that they're not really very effective. Um, and he also apparently lit the fire in such a way that... Uh, he was rescuable. Like the timing Correct. was all done very specifically. So yep. uh, there's these um, sort of, there's like municipal workers, uh, like street sweepers, right? Mm. Um, four o'clock uh, the following morning and they call the firefighters who rock up, put the fire out. And because he's not taken a lethal dose, he's relatively fine. Um, but he doesn't really want to talk to the cops, does he? No, he doesn't. Um, but look, it all, you know, during the post-mortem, mm. clearly they find, because the, the house didn't burn down. Maybe he, he was hoping that he'd be rescued at the last minute, pulled out, house burns, and his wife and two kids may have been burnt beyond recognition. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case. They managed to put the fire out. I've seen photos of the house, and um, it, he did a good job, but... It wasn't a great job. No. Do the postmortems, and then everything begins to unravel, and he confesses to everything, Paul. And you know, it's it's obviously a, an incredibly um, the, the notoriety that this case um, gleaned both in in France and abroad was extraordinary. I do recall the case, and for me, this is when the story kind of gets a little bit even more bizarre. Because he's sentenced to a lengthy jail sentence. And a couple of years ago, he was granted... Um, well, he, you know, they just said, look, you've done enough time. Uh, we want you to go into a situation where there's electronic surveillance, more than likely uh, one of those ankle bracelets. Mm-hmm. and And this is very interesting and quite surreal and I'd like to know the toing and froing that went on to actually sort of come up with this plan but the plan was that he'd be released into the care and custody of a local Benedictine monastery where he still is today 26 years in prison Mm. for decades of lying and con artists just just being an absolute con artist and then of course you know executing his family his other family the Mm. family dog uh, and and now he's just sort of out. I mean, I, look, don't get me wrong. He's in a monastery. Well, Paul, this monastery 
um, is actually slightly notorious. Really? Hmm. Because there was a very, very, um, let me just say, pretty pretty bad guy from World War Two. He was a Nazi um, sympathizer, but he was also more than a sympathizer. Let's just say that he was... He was involved, a Nazi. But he was involved in some very, very bad stuff. Right. And this guy was hidden in French monasteries right. from the end of the Second World War right. up until the last few years. And he was actually kept hidden. One of the monasteries where they, they hid him was where Jean-Claude is now. And okay. this particular person was charged with crimes against humanity and was jailed for life. So that's the level of badness mm -hmm. of the person that was being concealed by, well, by the, um, the church. Okay, was, so these was, are the kind of people that the, uh, the, this Benedictine monastery is well, you know, laundering, basically. Well, it's, look, it's, it's tricky. I mean, I firmly believe in the you know, transformative powers of forgiveness. I think it's a very important thing, but I'm very conflicted on this one because uh, yeah. the kids... And let's face it, he was... God, it's really look, awful. This is an awful case. It is an awful case. But look, I'd like to quote something in, in closing, if I may. Mm -hmm. And a French philosopher, Jean Baudrillard. Can we do that again? I think we... Yeah, just, you know, fumble your way through. Paul, Jean Baudrillard. Yep. Rillard. Analyzed Raman's case in his book of essays, The Intelligence of Evil or the Lucidity Pact. Okay. He describes Raman's secret life not as a dissimulation, but as a genuine doubling to transfigure insignificance and banality. All that is needed is to turn them into a parallel universe. There is no simulation in all this. He also claims that such a long pretense would be impossible without some kind of complicity. One can no more explain the silence of those around him than Raman's own silence. The deeper he gets into his stratagem, the deeper the others retreat into their absence of curiosity. It's a genuinely conspiratorial situation. I find that really interesting. So what they're saying is, I mean, because he was actually quoted as saying that he was uh, relieved to not have to be living a lie because he's mm. been, he'd been living a lie at that point for about 20 years. Mm. I mean, I have pretty fucking limited sympathy, uh, but at the same time, it is interesting um, that it was effectively a burden, you know. Yes, and also I like the fact in this particular case, Paul and listeners, that we didn't focus on the murders, uh, albeit horrific and fucked up but no, I, 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 agree. I, I think this case is so fascinating about the man and his life that it's just it, it's mind-boggling yeah it's... And, and i think i agree with the philosopher because people families friends 
we all know, we all get a vibe about various things. People we know, we think things are not quite right. There's a bit of a smell in the air. We're going, this just doesn't quite, but, but people just let things slide. It's almost as though we don't want to know the truth. So yeah. we go along with the, and I think, you know, it, 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 as this philosopher said, it, it was a genuine conspiracy of, of, of inaction. And, and I think we're all guilty of that. And I think that's, that's one of the fascinating outtakes of, of this particular story. It's been a truly bizarre, you know, trip down a very strange, very French rabbit hole. But uh, look, I'm glad we did it. And thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. It was really interesting to sort of cross the pond and deal with a crime over in France. I don't think we've done that before. And next week, we won't be doing murder. I promise. No murder next week. Something equally interesting and complex, but not murder. And also, make sure you tune in later this week for our regular episode of Loose Ends, our spin-off podcast. But in the meantime, have a great week, everyone, and we will see you very, very soon for more Loose Units. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. (laughs) Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Yuffie X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and Mop Master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.